So you got to come up with a new weird nonsense non sequitur for the opening. Welcome to I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside, a show where violence is not the answer, but it is all, but it is the question. The answer being, always and vigorously. I'm Scott, and with me as always is Mr. The Jeff. Mr. The Jeff. Mr. Yes. The Jeff? Yeah. That's the best you can come up with. I'm not doing too good today. <laughs> there's Jeff, there's Jedman025, there's the Fender of Destiny, there's all sorts of fun stuff, but Mr. The Jeff? I don't know. It's going to be a long show, folks. Stay tuned. I, I I think you just like saying Defender of Destiny so that I'll do the echo effect. No, you just like doing the echo effect. You just no. really like... The first time I said Defender of Defender Destiny, of... which you're going to echo, by the way, you were saying, yeah. Yay, you finally said it! Yeah. That was sad, well, man. That was real sad. Well, I, I'm just so... It bugs me that on Gundam, that whenever they mention your name, they don't actually do it in post. They they, they just have Neo say it very strange. Like, he wants it to echo, but then no one actually does the echo effect. No, I don't think it's the echo effect. It's more they're getting sick of me, or at least Neo is. I'm sure Neo's getting sick of me. I know the rest of the guys love me, but yeah. Neo and I are at a verbal war, so it's all good. Okay, pick of the week. Pick of the week. I get, it, uh, I get to go first. You go first. I get, to, I get a fun pick of the week. Um, a great musical artist for our time. A true inspiration to me in my life. And truly one of the great legends of the industry, Mr. Weird Al Yankovic, has come out with a recent uh, release called Alpocalypse. And it he makes fun of basically everybody, but he takes a really good shot at Lady Gaga in Perform This Way. And the album is great. It's funny as hell. Perform This Way is great, but it's probably not even my favorite. My favorite is a parody on uh, Party in the USA called Party in the CIA, which is just funny as all hell. And if you're a Weird Al fan, even way back when you were a kid, pick this up. You'll laugh your ass off. Can you believe Weird Al's been like doing this for like 25 years? And he's the best at it. He's the first. Like he- he's the first and the best. There's not many, you know, people who invent their genre and happen to be the very best at it. Yeah, uh, that's very, very rare. Very rare. And he can play the accordion. That's also rare. All right, and my pick of the week is going to uh, Doctor Lucius Meyer and his game Iron Tyrants. It's a pretty good game, but I'm mostly doing this because apparently he'll listen to any podcast that mentions him by name. So I'm I'm just going to mention him every episode now for a little while and see how long it takes before he gets sick of uh, listening to me talk about giant robots and things. Nobody gets sick of talking about giant robots. That's true, but he's, he apparently doesn't like anime. But he loves giant robots. He's a very strange man. That is very complicated, yes. That is very complicated. There's that many giant robots outside of anime. I know, I know. There's like Iron Giant... And Megas XLR, and that's about it. Yeah, like he—he's sort of like, he, like he—he's about you know your age, where he's, uh, 
you know, got he he's a fan of the Americanized Japanese robot cartoons. So he's big on Transformers and Robotech, but net no love for the rest of it, and I find it very very strange. Indeed. But yes, okay, one last article of business before we go on. Jeff, pick a number between one and four. Three. All right, Mr. Twitter person, Irregular Cog, you have won $10 for our Twitter contest last time. I will be poking you via some means about how you want to receive your $10. So go you. (laughs) You're bribing people now, you know that. I, I am bribing people. Okay, just making sure. And uh, that means that does, however, mean that the prize budget has been reset, and that in three months the next prize will be five dollars again. Mm. <laughs> All right, but in to the main topic for this episode, which is the Universal Century of Gundam. Yay! Yay! A classic of Japanese animation, largely unappreciated. Anywhere else. <laughs> Indeed. Except by us. Because we're nerds. Uh, except by nerds. Yes. But nerds will appreciate pretty much anything. Eh, they'll appreciate a lot, but not anything. Yeah. Like, I don't appreciate Jackass the movie. What point does anyone in the world have making money doing the shit they do? Just saying. Hey. Hey, man. America's Funniest Home Videos started this. America's? They... That's different, though. 90% of what's an American funny somebody is, is some, people doing stupid stuff by accident. See, no, they realized, like, no, like, that, that show produces an hour of content weekly. And that's based on people who, that's based on crowdsourcing accidents on video. Imagine what they could do if they just had people doing stupid stuff on purpose. Enter Jackass. Just saying, the, the whole humor of America's Funny Home Videos is, it's accidental. We can laugh at that. Oh, people stage tons of shit for that shit. I'm sure they do, but... I'm sorry, I'm just not interested in some idiot shoving his head up something's butt. Never mind, I'm not going there. <laughs> Something about an elephant, but it's not pleasant. But moving on. Moving on. Okay. I just went on a little oddball rant there, didn't I? It was a little bit. Okay, then. Starting with UC. Right. Yeah. Universal Century. Shall we start at the, be- shall we start at the beginning? Yes. Okay, we're going to go to 0079. <laughs> Instead of yep. double zero. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, the original. I'm going to go ahead and say one thing right out of the gates. Truthfully, I don't think the series, the original TV series, is that good. It's not bad, but it's not that good. It's The story's convoluted. The animation at times is pretty bad. And a lot of needs more salt episodes. Lots of, lots of salt. We always need salt. The world will end without salt. And some of the plot points don't make a whole lot of sense in the show just doesn't have any good rhythm or flow to it now the movies the compilation movies that is where they got everything right they ironed out all the problems they had with the original series the story flows a whole lot much better the whole new type thing actually makes sense from the get-go and they don't need as much salt they still need some mind you i mean the white base can't run without some salt but doesn't need all of it i i think well, the entire history of Gundam can generally be summed up, be, be described as a really odd tug of war between the directors and Sunrise and Bandai, where you know the the, the corporate types just want to sell toys, and then you have these creative types who really want to tell a story. And sometimes the compromise works, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think the series, uh, the first series, definitely 
crumples under a lot of pressure, particularly because it was trying things that were very new and different. The, the financial side of things definitely didn't back or fully understand what they were doing. So when they did get the budget to recut it as a movie a year later, it, they really just got a lot more freedom to do it because they've basically because at that point they've already made their money selling toys and they can really just be creative as they like. So you you see a lot of the odder, more out-of-place elements just sort of get completely caught out. They, they smooth out the story, uh, really, really build up the characters much better, introduce some concepts earlier, and it, it all really flows together quite well. Like, as much as people complain about authors coming back to redo their works over and over... Like the, like say Mr. George Lucas. Sometimes it does, you know, improvement does come out of that. Oh yeah, the first. I mean, I always look at Mobile Suit Gundam the series as the rough draft. You know, there's. I agree. There's some elements of the. You know, we got to sell toys, but there's some elements of that in every Gundam series, movie, TV show, or otherwise. I mean, gun cannon in space, the G defensor, all that nonsense. At times, it well, was just there to sell toys and i'm not going to pretend different but I, oh. I do think that you know some points of the story tomino or his writers or whatever just couldn't get you know from point a to point b smoothly now when they went to back to the movies they're like okay here's where we screwed up in the series let's fix it and make things run better yes but this one there are three sort of recurring gun a few recurring themes in gundam across the entire franchise that we may as well just establish now, because this we'll probably be doing this as a few in a few over a few episodes over the next few months. Is that one war sucks? Yep. Two uh, understanding can change that. Three buy all our playsets and toys. <laughs> Four racism is not good. <laughs> yeah, and I'll go ahead and add a fifth one, which isn't is a little more subtle, but it's still a message. There is is there a right or a wrong way to fight a war? You know, is there, a, if you're going to fight a war, is there a good way to do it, or is just the fact that you're in a war altogether equal bad? Yeah, and actually, there, there's this, you know how you can get those blank and philosophy books that they're crowding out, you know, bookshelves everywhere? Mm-hmm. If you go digging for the, I believe it's manga and philosophy, there's an essay in it called, Just War Theory is No Goof. <laughs> Goof spelled with yes, a U. Yeah, I, I get it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that earns a lot of points for me. I, like I said, I think the main theme, at least through all of Gundam, is the basic war is bad. And the backup theme that as you fight a war, there's a good way and a bad way to do it. Or, no, you're in a war, it's bad. There is no good way. And I think that's, uh, and some series actually have that uh, fifth point dialogue very well. And, um, I th- we'll we'll get to that in uh, the alternate century episode that we'll do. These are these are sort of the core themes. A lot of ideas get thrown around uh, related to those, and it's really good at hitting home that war really sucks. Like, yeah, the, uh, this is the jumping first... to Zeta, the 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 uh, the the trip to Thirty Bunch Colony. That's rough. Yeah. Well, they this this is the what made Gundam Revolutionary the first anime or first giant robot show that said. Okay, if you're going to battle, you are actually going to kill people. And sometimes it's not going to be pretty. In fact, most of the time, it's not going to be pretty. We're going to show you the consequences of war. (laughs) 
War may look all fun and dandy on television, but <laughs> people die. And in this show, they actually showed the dead people. Well, it, and it's important to note that, that they are people. In, in most mech shows up to that point, the enemies were always aliens or crazy monsters. Right. Yeah. You're always fighting, you know, Zar, the big beastie thing that doesn't make any sense. Now, this time yep. you're fighting humans. And I like the fact that I'm not a Zeon loyalist here, but I like the fact they make Zeon humans. Zeons are not, at least entirely, Nazis. They're not all evil. They're not all monsters. You show that, yeah, the people you know at the top of the branch are pretty big psychopaths, but your lowly grunt soldier, he's not in it for any kind of issue. He thinks he's fighting for a good cause. Mistakenly, perhaps, but he thinks he's fighting for a good cause. Well, and this is something that's really interesting is that the every show seems to have a lot of sympathy for the grunts, like on both sides, mm-hmm. and tend to vilify commanding officers on both sides. Like not always. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of dickwad Zeon generals, but there's quite a few asshole Federation ones. Oh, there are too. But the they, I think they do a good job of making both. I mean, Rambaral is not a jackass evil general. In fact, you kind of like him. But he's not on your side, so you still got to fight him. But, you know, uh, Bright Noah is a really good, strong, good leader in the Federation, but there's a lot of jackasses above him. So you got your good and evil on both the good guys and the bad guys, and they, good, they do a good job of portraying that. But overall, I think the movies are definitely great to watch, good starting point. Generally, like, if you're going to try and do uh, the Universal Century... Starting with the movies is not a good is not a bad place to start, I think. No, if you're gonna I always tell people when they want to get into Gundam, I say there's three good gateway shows. MSG, Wing, and Zeta, and G Gundam to a lesser extent. But if you really want to get going into UC, just start at the beginning. MSG. I usually recommend the movies, but if you watch the T V series, it won't ruin it for you. Well, and now that you're we're finally going to see a DVD release with the Japanese version for the TV series. Definitely worth looking into. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, I complain about the series. I'm still buying that series. It's still oh, a, yeah. a classic. I got to have it in my collection. I've always wanted it. And if whenever Bandai does put it out, which I'm starting to wonder when, but whenever they do, I'll be buying it. Yeah. They're, they're reluctant about dates. Yeah. But, like I, like I, we were, they had a presentation at anime North and, we kept poking them for a specific date on turn A and the original mobile suit, and they wouldn't bite. The best they they they, they committed to quarters, and I'm like, you, you, ha- you gave us a quarter last time, yeah. And you know what? I don't have turn A Gundam in a box yet. Yeah, so. well, you can never until they give you a date. It doesn't mean anything, and even if they give you a date, all that means is it can it's going to come out. It's probably going to be six weeks three later. Three or four months of that date. Because I can't tell you how many times with Bandai I've pre-ordered something and then two weeks before it's supposed to come out, I get an email saying, uh, your item has been delayed two months or one month or something. So I don't believe I'm actually going to get it until it ships. Okay. It's in my hands, I'll believe. Yeah. Moving from MSG to Space Nazis. Space Nazis. Mobile Suit Gundam Igloo, which is always a... I thought it was a really strange name. Uh, remember that how it's probably the worst title. Yeah, remember when I was saying how they had the good guys and the bad guys on both sides? 
Well, they kind of dropped that for this little mini-series. Well, no, like, the, everyone was sympathetic. It's just they really, really put on the Reich for this one. Yeah. I mean, every every one of those prototypes, that weapons they tested had a German name. The guys were wearing the black leather coats with the hat. They looked just like members of the SS in every movie, World War II movie you've ever seen. And the only thing they weren't doing was Hail Hitler. And it was, instead it was Hail Zeon. MSA Glue was a set was a series of CG animated shorts, uh, like twenty minutes each, something like that. About yeah. not even a, not even like a full TV episode length. Just detailing a Xeon at first for the first two series, a Xeon weapons testing vessel, and it it fell into formula very fast. Where it was like, oh, here's the machine. Here's the last of the cowboys type operator for the machine. Oh, look, he's died tragically. And the machine let's play the somber <laughs> let's somber trumpet sounds to close out the episode. Yeah. Yep. Well, the only good part about my favorite episode of Igloo was the only one where Shar showed up, or at least his uh his Zaku did, when they were firing that giant cannon that took like a half hour to fire. And they were actually able to destroy, you know, one battleship. It took them like twenty minutes and then Shar went in and took out eight in about ten minutes. Well, he's Char. Yeah, well, he's Char. I mean, still. And that pretty much said, okay, all your weapons testing here, unless it's got mobile shoot behind the name, don't even bother. Animation-wise, the action sequences are really great, but anything where the characters emote looks really awkward. Yeah, they look like uh, mannequins. Very uncanny valley, for the most part. Then you notice that 90% of the people never blink? They don't blink. It's It's creepy. It's really creepy. I mean... They just stare off into oblivion for eternity. It's a little creepy. Speaking of creepy is when we go into uh, the... They have two series of Xeon, and then they have a series of the, focusing on the Federation and kind of their weapons testing and their grunts on the ground. And, appar- and apparently Death herself shows up. Uh, I didn't know Death was a woman, but apparently I was wrong because she shows up and appears to everyone who's about to die in that damn thing. Yep. Which is... A little weird for a Gundam series, even if it is, you know, a tiny little, you know, 15-minute episode series with about, what, six episodes? No, uh, it was only three. It was only three one. for that one? That was yeah, you had you had Rocket Guy, you had Tank Guy, and then uh, Gun Tank Girl. Yeah, which I'll admit the Gun Tank she piloted was pretty kick-ass, but... I actually really liked the plot of that third episode. I kind of wish that they had broken the formula and done like a little three-part arc surrounding. Yeah, just around out her, I would have been story. interested. Just that would have been solid because that was the best of the three episodes by far. But you know, the the ghost of death was just really weird for that series. Shall we move on to the next weird part of the series or the next weird series? I don't, I don't I don't think War in the Pocket was all that weird. Young Asian it's boys. <laughs> it's just depressing. It's depressing, like, what, but it's weird. Well, well, watch it at Chris. If you haven't seen it, watch it at Christmas. I've seen it, but do you really? I mean, it creeps me out how much fun uh, Bernie is having with that kid. He's smiling a little too much. Know what I mean? Uh, I mean, his his friends have just died. He's marooned on a a uh, colony that he knows is about to get nuked. He knows about to get nuked. He's facing certain death, and he's all happy and smiley. It's a little creepy. And then he gets turned into Hamburger in the coolest and most horrifying death sequence I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. A machine Wait. gun to the cockpit. I mean, wow. With bullets the size of baseballs. 
No, um, War in the Pocket is probably my favorite entry in the entire Universal Century. Really? When I'm yeah, when I'm trying to convince people to watch it, I usually throw this at them because it's only six episodes and you can go through it fast. And it really just show highlights a lot of the things that are great about Gundam. You see sympathy for both sides. You see um, interesting tactics being employed, and the fact that it comes through like every major conflict or political turmoil has a movie where you see it through the eyes of a child just for easy sympathy and easy drama. And here, like up to fi- up to episode 5, you've got sort of that movie. And you think in episode 5 when he sees that all his uh, Zeon Spec Ops buddies except for one dies in a horrible failed raid attempt. You think that's like that's where nor- this new movie normally cuts. Then it goes that one step farther where he gets to watch his two friends beat the crap out of each other over nothing. Right. That, like, that was the, like that, that's that was the, the real salt irony. in the wound. It is like, okay, at least they're fighting for something. One's trying to stop the place from getting nuked. The other's trying to defend you know, her friends from this evil Zaku. In reality, there's no reason for them to fight. The nuke has been stopped. It's over. It's done with. And the kid's trying to stop them, and then, nope. Hamburgers. Yeah, and, he, and Bernie becomes a burger to be eaten by Bright later. Yeah, but uh, the, th- the the worst part for me is, I will say that kind of get me. I really felt felt sorry for the kid, considering he's not a kid. He's not even real. He's a cartoon. He does a good job when he's back at his school opening, and you know he's just kind of in shock for those next you know week or so after everything's over with. And then he's back at his school opening, and they're playing the music, and it just kind of all hits him at once. You know, he realizes everything that's just happened to him. Before, he wanted to be a, you know, he wanted to fight Zaku's. He wanted to be in the war. He wanted to do all this. And then he got a nice, you know, good close-up look at war, and he's had enough of that crap. <laughs> very depressing, but very good. Yep. Terrible music, though. Yeah, Terrible and music. I can never listen to that opening sequence again. That never made any damn sense. Well, e- even, like, the rest of it is just a lot of, like, 80s synth-poppy stuff that, like, there's not a track on it that is really outstanding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on. Gundam 0083. No, no. 8th MS team. Oh, my bad. I forgot 8th MS. Oops. Yeah, this was made in 96. It uh, has a lot of this, has quite a few overlap with the animation team from uh, Cowboy Bebop, so... Mm-hmm. So you I'm you, kind of, you see a few hairstyles pop up that look a tad familiar. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I forgot Eighth MS Team. That is one of my favorite, and it was one of my gateway drugs into Gundam. You know that when it was running on the midnight run back in the old Toonami days. I remember, I know you're Canadian and don't have it, but they yeah, aired it yeah. late at night, and I remember staying up to watch that show when I really shouldn't because I had class the next day. But man, did I love that show! That was that really got it going for me and. The fact that it was, it, they censored a little bit of it, but they kept the bulk of it on the show, you know, really hooked me, and I really did like that show. Didn't care for many of the characters, oddly enough. I just liked the base story, the mech designs, the way everything was drawn. Very good series. Yeah, th- this was also the one that had uh, the director change halfway through. And not because Dude, anyone got fired, but... <laughs> just, just a tr- very tragic death, and... That that's the point where I think the show, like as cool as some of the stuff that happens in the second half is, I can't like it that much just because it's like, yes, the Norris Packard Shiro fight is ungodly awesome. All right. 
but it's a betrayal of sort of the series mission statement. Like th- this show was not about aces du- dueling it out. This was about you know ground unit small u- like small ground unit tactical combat with a lot of tension and you know v- very little like a lot of tension but very little action. Like th- this was the Vietnam War movie in space. Well, not even in space, but it was Vietnam with robots. Yeah. Well, I kind of think. I don't think, you know, you'd have that big, you know, where it really comes down to Shiro versus Packard, that kind of thing where it's, you know, ace versus ace. I don't think that would happen with the original uh, director, you're right, but I still think it would have came down to a one-on-one fight, maybe with, you know, less action, more tension, more, you know, sneaking and stealth and kind of a war, but I guess we'll really never know. I'm perfectly happy with the way it ended. The I think the they he tried to keep that uh, stealth aspect right up till the end as much as he could. Well, and even then, it's not like this fight wins decides who wins the war. Like the but the the objectives are very lopsided because Doris Packard's just trying to take out the tanks, right? And Shiro's just trying to keep everyone alive. And it's it's nice to see sort of a lopsided objective where it's not uh, total party kill for both sides, right? And can I just say, Norris Packard, one of the all-time great badasses in any Gundam series, the way he went out there fighting in his goof, the battle he fought, and the way he won it after getting chopped in half was damn awesome. Yeah, that that was damn awesome. But, yeah, the, the, I, I want to say that uh, 8th MS Team is the best 11-episode show produced by Gundam. Yeah, I'll go one step further. Best 11-episode show of any anime series I've ever seen. Granted, there ain't that many 11-episode shows, but still. Yeah, bear in mind that the, the, the technically this show has 12. Yeah, but that... The last one's so bad. It, uh, the last one... I always... I remember they didn't show that episode when they ran it in Tsunami here in the States. And, I remember, and everyone was upset. And everyone was all, you know, what, there's a 12th episode? I gotta see this 12th episode. And I remember as soon as I bought the DVDs, I was like, I get to see the 12th episode. This is gonna be so great. And I watched it like... Oh, that's why they didn't show it. <laughs> oh. This has nothing to do with anything. There, There's no plot. There's no point. The only mildly interesting thing about that last episode is something maybe only I noticed, or maybe just I'm one of the few people who kind of picked up on it. I don't think anyone else has. Or maybe I'm just not that observant. I don't know. When they bury that person in the ground, one of the kids from the... Ep- from the uh, Flanagan. From the Flanagan, the one who gets, you know, they mummify the person and they put them in the ground. If you watch that and you pause it, look at the body, look at the hair. It's for Murasame. At least I think it is. Now, is that a clone? Is that another four? I don't know. Is that number three? Maybe. Is that three Murasame? What is that? But the person that looks so friggin' similar to four, I can't believe it's just coincidence. Unless they were just trying to mess with us, which is also possible. I would not be surprised if it was three or two or three Marasame. Because, <laughs> you know, we don't know. Four says she had memories before this. Maybe she didn't, and that's how they controlled her. We don't know. Now, before I skip another series, 0083? 0083. Top Gundam? Top Gundam. Highway to the danger zone. Oh, come on, no one's going to sing it with me. Come on, try it one more time. No, no, no Kenny Loggins. to the danger zone. Scott, you're not helping. No, right. no Kenny Loggins. You're no fun. But, no, 
in all seriousness, this series I have a love-hate relationship with. I love the mech designs. I love the mech battles. But outside of Annabelle Gatto, I really can't stand anyone in that series. The only person that kind of redeems himself near the end is Ko, because he finally does man up when he gets the GPO-3, and he grows a pair, and he turns out to be a pretty good ace. But I would pay real money to shoot Nina Purpleton out of a cannon. Seriously. Well, the last scene where well, the screen goes blank and he they see each other, when that screen goes blank... I fully imagine him just slapping her. Yeah. Well, it's always that... There's no hugs and tears. It's a slap. Yeah, I never can, you know, make up my mind on Ko just because I don't know what happened there. I hated him throughout the first series, but he redeemed himself right at the end. And it's like, he was smiling when he saw his buddy, uh, was it Josh? Keith. Keith, pardon me. When he saw his buddy Keith, he smiled and he waved. He was happy to see his friend. Then they saw Nina and his face went to shock. Nina smiled. She's like, Ko, Hi! Then the screen went blank. It all depends on the reaction. If if Ko runs into her arms and kisses her, I hate his guts. He's a moron. If he comes up and goes, hey, remember me? You shot me, you bitch. Then I'm all for it. I appreciate this and what it does for plot in that it does a really nice job of bridging the gap between the first series and Zeta, where you you, you definitely get the feel where Oh, yep, this is... the Oh, so that's why the Federation's full of douchebags. Right. All the douchebags get promoted and become members of the Titans, and they they do a very good job. I love the fact that, you know, that you can see the inner workings within a Federation of Jemaikoff and all the gang setting this up. Okay, let them get close. Let them get really close to actually doing this, and then we'll stop them just to prove everyone, hey, you need us to do this. Now, they could have stopped them months ahead of time. They could have you know, crippled them well before they even came close to doing anything in Earth, uh, near Earth orbit. But no, they let them get close just to scare the crap out of everybody. In fact, they had, they, uh, they had their own mole on the inside making sure that they got close. Okay, let, let them get close, then run. Of course, she got you know a GPO-3 uh, cannon to the chest, so that takes care of that. Mm-hmm. That's another great death right there. Cannon at super close range. Translation, your Gilgoog is at the end of the damn barrel. So that, yeah. that hurt for like a half a second. Then she went splat. I like the gross killings. Yeah, you do. <laughs> anyway, what else was I saying? But outside of that, I like I said, I love the mech designs. I love the battles they put out. The dendrobium battle at the end was off the charts crazy great. But like I said, pretty much all the characters I want to strangle at least one point. Gato isn't even perfect because at times Gato just oblivious, doesn't make any sense of what he's doing. But most of the time, he's a pretty badass. This one also had two directors, but that was because someone did get fired. <laughs> right. And that might also be a problem where all of a sudden, romance, love triangle that really yeah, doesn't that made make no any sense. sense. That made no sense. They had, that was kind of one of those, I mean, the new director at least got things where you didn't hate every character. You started to like some of the guys and you gave some more redeeming features, but that love triangle at the end came out of left field. I don't know what he was doing with that one. I mean, I'm sure if he had to go back, he would have just said, yeah, just get, get rid of that. I, I don't know where I was thinking with that one. <laughs> I'm sure that made, should... I'm sure that made sense in his head at the time, but you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I actually don't especially care for the design of uh, the GPO-2 all that much. 
just because I think it started the trend where you could immediately pick the bad guy Gundam out of a lineup just by just on site alone. Well, he didn't, like, yeah, that's... It didn't start that trend in terms of UC timeline. It did, but in yeah. terms of you know production, that goes all the way back to the Titans Mark II. As soon as you saw it, you go, "That's a bad guy Gundam." <laughs> they made it very clear from day one: if the Gundam is a little bit darker, or even a lot darker, and you know its eyes look a little more evil. It's a bad guy Gundam. Uh, well, it wasn't totally obvious with that, and it almost yes, it was. Like, uh, like the darker colors are almost more practical, but like, like if anything, it was probably the Psycho that started that, where it was just big and black, and it had it was completely ominous. Well, that leads us into a nice transition from 0083 right into Zeta, which is my personal favorite of the UC series. Uh, this was mid '80s Tomino coming back to do a sequel, which he hates doing. So you can guess where this might go if you know uh, where, where, where Tomino's at, especially now that it's you know, six years later and he's lost much more hair. <laughs> like, th- there, there are things that you can sort of earmark for how a Tomino show's gonna go. It's like, how much hair does he have? Was his last show happy? And is it a sequel? Right. <laughs> the more hair he loses, the, the, the more characters are gonna die. Right. But say what you want about Tomino, he knows how to write characters. Outside of a couple aberrations, I liked pretty much every character in that show. Well, he, 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 the, he does quite a few characters really well, except when he tries to write people who've gone crazy. Because then it's just Tomino crazy. I don't know, I thought one of the... The space madness and what they do doesn't make any sense. I don't know, I don't mind the space crazy. I mean, when they're going, you know, completely off the deep end, nutsoid, yeah, they're a little crazy. Like when Four completely lost her mind, she was hard to wrap your head around. But I guess that's kind of the point. If you're absolutely crazy, you're not going to understand what the hell's going on. But I thought that one of the best uh, written crazy people was Rekoa when she... Turned on the on uh, team uh, team Camille and joined up with Paptimus Shiraco just because she is not quite crazy. She is, but she isn't. She's still a logical thinking human being. She knows right from wrong, but she knows what she wants. You know, she wants to be treated differently than everyone treats her on the Argama. She doesn't like the way Char treats her. She doesn't like the way Camille treats her. She's looking to be treated a certain way, and Paptimus Shirako does that. He treats her whatever way she wants to be treated. Now, we are not privy to exactly what she wants to be treated like, and based on the way Shirako acts, it doesn't make any sense why she would want to be treated like that, but she is. She makes a decision. You know what? I know this probably isn't the right thing to do, but damn it, this is what I want to do. So screw you guys. I'm going to kill you all. She goes all Anakin Skywalker on them. She says, I'm not going to do what's right. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I thought that was one of the most brilliantly written characters in that show. From beginning to end, when you first meet her, you can tell that she, she's on the, she believes she's doing the right thing, but she's not particularly happy. She isn't happy with what she's doing in her life. She'd rather be doing something else. She doesn't exactly know what, but she doesn't want to do this anymore. And when she finds Shiraka, she's like, oh. I can do this. <laughs> it may not be the right thing, but at least I'm happier. <laughs> of course, she ends up yeah. dying too, so... Zeta has a great cast of characters, top to bottom. Does a really good job of bringing back characters from the first series. 
in interesting ways that they're, you know, some of them are doing what they've always done, some have happily retired, like Kai becoming a reporter is a nice change. Reporter. He is a shar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A, he, terrible grammar. Yeah. Terrible grammar. He's not very good with the grammar, so apparently his editor's got a lot of work to do, but otherwise he's good. Yeah. But yeah, Kai is a reporter. Amaro, I like the way they brought back Amaro. You know, he isn't a conquering hero. He's pretty much a, he's a spineless he's a flight instructor. <laughs> he's reverted back to his old self. He didn't, you know. And I love the uh, conversation that he and Shar has. Shar asks, I mean, he asks Shar, he goes, what did you come down here for, Shar? And he goes, I came to laugh at you. <laughs> he's like, this is really what you fell to. I'm out here. I'm doing something. I'm, you know, trying to improve the universe. You're sitting down on Earth in a friggin' mansion twiddling your bloody thumbs. Really? After everything we've been through, after killing Lala, after all that madness, this is what you're doing with your spare time. And I think it kind of takes that to get Amaro out of his funk, which kind of comes back to bite Shar in the ass later. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was always interesting that Amaro reverted to his old self after the war. And Hayato ran a museum. Yeah, well, you know, at least Hayato, Hayato ran a museum, but he, his real job was running Karaba. He he had some balls to him, I'll give him that. In terms of plot, I think it's a nice turnaround where you see the guys from the last series, you know, just sort of descend into tyranny. And it moves along at a quick pace. It does. It's got a nice, you know, it's got a like four or five or six arcs going at the same time. But it doesn't, you know, it focuses on one at a time. It doesn't try and do too much with an episode. It'll say, okay, here's the arc between Camille and Jared. We're going to touch on that a little bit. We'll come back to it a few episodes down the line. Here's the arc between Camille and Four. Here's the arc between Char and Amaro, or Char and Camille. And they keep it hitting back and forth, and they keep it, you know, they don't focus on it completely one per episode, but they keep all those plot points moving throughout the entire series. And uh, action sequences is in this just got a nice bump up. I think my favorite thing ever is when uh, Amaro rams uh, that the cargo plane into uh, the Asimar. Yeah. Just, just because you get the little telepathic contact between him and Char. It's like, what are you doing? Just watch me. <laughs> So I'll handle this, Char. Then even Amaro's like, wait, did I just say Char? Char's here. It's like, you just said it, didn't you, dumbass? So apparently, you know, new types are able to understand each other really quickly. They're not able to understand their spatial awareness very well. They can understand Char is here, but they can't understand, wait, here, here? So new type powers, good, but not all you think enough. They aren't Jedi. No, they're not Jedi. They are not Jedi. They're in Gundam X, but we won't touch on that. At least not yet. Not yet. But I love the ending on Zeta, except what followed the ending. But yeah. moving right into double Zeta. No, no. We, I think we should just do uh, the new translation movies now. You want to do hit on the new translation movies? Yeah. I the end. The thing that bugged me about the new translation is the ending. To be quite honest, I mean, I like the. He didn't change much of the story at all. He just, you know, updated some of the scenes. He, your, your favorite scene where Amaro crashes that cargo plane is completely redone, and it looks ten times better than it did before. And they do other some great other action sequences with the Yakushiki and the Yo, and 
and the and the final battle in the third movie at the uh, base of the uh, colony laser was amazing, but I saw no real reason to change the end. I mean, I, I, well, I think at this point he's on he's he like Tamino like some point in the late nineties Tamino got on some meds. <laughs> Maybe, and but... He's, he's okay with seeing his characters be happy. I don't mind that. I mean, I at the end of Double Zeta, he was happy. We saw him. He's good. It's okay. If But I didn't see any reason to go back and mess with the continuity like he did, especially because it means nothing. It's like, okay, see? Camille didn't lose his mind. He's all right. It's fine. Now, this doesn't actually mean anything in the long-term continuity of Gundam, and this isn't canon or anything, but see, he's okay. My my issue with new translation was that, is that it's only about half new animation. Yeah. And the the character designs are so drastic. Like, in the in the first movie where it's only like seventy percent or it's seventy percent old stuff, it's a serious whiplash. Yeah. And all of a sudden we go these... from this crisp, clean computer animation that looks super slick and, you know right on par with anything you've seen come out lately to 1970s and 80s stuff. Yeah, it, it's just really bad. And I don't know why they even started with, like, they even went back to the original material. Because, like, obviously the prediction, that like, this thing succeeded beyond anyone's wildest, wildest dreams. Right. But they had to know that you re-release Zeta Gundam on theaters, this is going to be a top. Like a ridiculously top-grossing movie, right? You could have just as easily gone back and done the redone the whole thing, which was basically what they did with the third movie, right? There was minimal old footage in the third movie. Yeah, they kept. I mean, you can tell as the series progressed, they got more and more new footage. I think that's where they really wanted to rework it. But like I said, the the three-way dance between Hyakushiki, the O, and the Kubale at the base of the colony laser was some of the best mech battle I've seen in some time from UC. Yeah. Like, it, only to be sur- surpassed by the stuff in Unicorn. Right. Yeah. That, but, truthfully, I'll watch that. I mean, some of the Unicorn battles were great, but I dare say that that three-way dance at, at the bottom of the Colony Laser might have been better than anything I've seen in Unicorn, but that's my opinion. But, okay, and we move from there to Double Zeta, where... Puru, 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 I'm sorry, what? <laughs> where apparently Tomino's in his manic phase, <laughs> right. and, like, this one's actually interesting in that he, he, he flips phases t- twice over the course of a series, which is rare for Tomino. Right. Like, it, it starts out all happy-go-lucky, goofy, fun times... And then about halfway through, it gets a little depressing, and that middle arc is amazing. Yeah. Like, it's actually really good television. Right, the arc... But it's a struggle to get to it, and the payoff is lame. I wouldn't say that. The way I put it is, when Double Zeta is two sides... I mean, there are extreme opposites on Double Zeta. There is... When Double Zeta is good, it is as good, if not better, than anything you get in Zeta. But when it's bad... It is really, really bad. I mean, there's no, you know, this is, you know, the one for the fanboys and the trolls. It's either great or it's horrible. There's not much middle ground. There's no, oh, that episode was okay. It was either great or it sucked. It is slow starting. It pretty much destroys any sort of intimidation factor. The the One of the 
better baddies from Zeta had in uh, can't even what's his name? I don't know. You're talking about the the blonde. What's his face? Yazan. That's Yazan Gable. Gable. Yeah. Like at the end of it, he's like icing everyone. Like he's icing fan favorite characters, being a major threat to Camille for like half the show, and then in the third episode of Double Zeta, he's picking through garbage to eat and teaming up with a junk a garbage merchant. Well, I don't mind that because they kind of, at least they make kind of sense of what happened to him. Uh, he had, like, I don't, he had, he had the same thing Amaro's father had. He was deprived of oxygen for too long sitting in that tank. So when he came out, he's, you know, goofy, crazy, insane, thinking that a piece of junk will make the Gundam 10 times stronger. No, he's just out of his damn mind. He, you know, he just spent too much time in space with not enough oxygen. That'll do that to just about anybody. Yeah. But you're right. I didn't see the need to do that, but at least his descent into madness made made some sense. As opposed to why uh, Bright Noah has suddenly just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done. I don't give no, a shit. No. Do whatever the hell you please. I don't it's care like, anymore. The, the first episode starts with Bright with a chicken on his head. Right. And, then, and, then and, just, from, and it gets worse for him from there. Right. And then he just, pretty, and by the end of the series, he's just, I don't care anymore. Take like, the you know goddamn what? ship. Yeah. Do Beecha, whatever you you're want. You're in charge. You're here. Have fun. Here's the keys. I'm going home, okay? Bye. <laughs> and he pretty much just, you know, gives the keys to the junk gives the keys to the junkyard kids and says, "Go for it, guys. Do what you please." Do do what you please. I'm out. Here's a Hyakushiki, here's a Zeta. Here's a nice ship. They here's this new advanced prototype up in the double Zeta. I'm going to give it to you guys. See you around. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 done. Yeah. <laughs> like But yeah, th- there's this middle arc where they're running around on Earth. And it's an amazing arc. It's well-paced. And it really shows off the fact that these kids are not very good right. at driving mobile suits. They're a good team. But they aren't very good as individuals. Uh, like when They're getting owned by, like, one-year war-era tech. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, you kind of get the sense they don't really know what they're doing. I mean, these are not aces piloting these things. They're amateurs piloting, you know weapons of mass destruction, so they really don't have a great idea what they're doing. They can pilot mobile suits, but they're not used to piloting mobile suits of this caliber or this tech. I think that the one of my favorite parts of the entire series is when, first when they find Camille on Earth, and you see Camille starting to work his way out of his, you know, mind fuck, because he's able to help, uh, help out Judo and help them straighten out, and the battle between the Psycho Mark II and Puru II versus... Puru and Judo in the double Zeta, while the colony is dropping around them on Ireland, was pretty damn impressive. I mean, they're literally fighting as hell is raining down upon them. That was a pretty cool fight. That was damn cool. And I wish they had gone into a double Zeta New Translation movie trilogy just to have that in shiny pants high def. Right. Well, that and... Do, do we really need a new translation of Zeta? No, I thought it was fine. Did we need a new translation of Double Zeta? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And the, and especially if they got to do something closer to the original plan for the third arc of the series where it's where it was basically a longer version of Char's counterattack right. until they're like, we're giving you a movie, write a new ending. Right. And like, oh, I don't mind. All right. I really don't mind. A lot of people complain about the ending. I don't mind the ending to Zeta because I... The only complaint I have is I wish Haman Khan had not lived. gone out like a punt. 
Well, I don't I mind her punt because she's basically she's figured it out right at the end. She's sitting there, she's putting the pieces together. Okay, she had the ball game one. It was over. I mean, she had the whole thing wrapped up. She had a deal with the Federation for a truce. She had the Zeon loyalist on her side because she got to, you know, one last punch at the Feddies by dropping a collie on them. She had the last remaining zombie in her back pocket as a puppet doing whatever she told her to do. She was one of the most powerful new types alive, and she had one of the most badass, dangerous weapons available in the Cubalite. It's over. She's won. Ball game. Wrap it up. Over. And then Laurent Char, Glemmy Toto, has to go. Who spent the first half of the series as a joke villain. <laughs> as a joke villain, goes ahead and goes old coup d'etat on it and screws everything up. She knows as soon as this is happening, she's sitting there looking out. And she's, you can tell she's figured it out. It's like, okay, even if we beat back Glemmy's forces, the Fetties are going to take this opportunity to kill us both which she's right on. She goes, we're screwed. I had it won. I had the whole damn thing won and over with, and we're screwed. So she basically just says, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going out there. I'm taking my Cubalay. I'm going to try and kill Judo. I'm going out there to die. If I'm going to go down, I'm taking him with me. She fails to do that, but in the end she just goes, okay, fine, I give up. (laughs) Because I can understand her point of view. She had the whole damn thing won, and then Glemmy had to screw it up. Something about the mech designs, and uh, just to talk about the mech, the mech designs, is you spend a lot of time looking at the same few, and then in the last arc, you get a bunch of new ones thrown at you, and none of them gets used really well. Right. Like I've I've got a high grade. Uh, you see the unicorn version of the Dryson sitting on sitting waiting to be built. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever, and then I find out it's from Double Zeta, and I'm like, where was that in Double Zeta? Yeah, it showed up for like a two and a half episodes, and it was barely used. Yeah, it, like the same thing with like the Zaku Mark III and a few of the other ones you saw towards the end. They they got shoved aside pretty fast for uh, mass-produced Cubalays. Right. Which I actually thought was pretty cool when you saw a Cubalay army show up. Problem is, they didn't actually get used that much. I mean, you saw that them show mean... up, they launched into battle, and that was about it. Yeah. It was like, mass-produced Cubalays, holy crap! This is going to be awesome! And then you see them fly away, and I'm like, where are you going? No. <laughs> Why are we not following them? Why are we not seeing this awesome thing happen? Right. There's surely something awesome happening with the Cubalay army, but apparently we're not going to get to see it because we're not cool enough. No. But the whole problem with Zeta is when it stays on its main plot, it's pretty good. The main Fetty versus Eon, despite some of the weird villains they have to fight. But some of the, they go off on some very weird tangents. Do I need to mention Moon Moon? I think we okay. I think we need to explain Moon Moon because this show is not available. <laughs> okay, this show is not available to Americans, really. So, sort of, sort of. <laughs> like you can find it, but you gotta you gotta look. Yeah. So there, there's a couple episodes of Double Zeta where they end up on a random space colony called Moon Moon. And it suddenly turns into one of the bad episodes of Star Trek, the original series. I was going to go with the Ewoks from uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, but whatever. These guys have crazy, weird religious beliefs and funny hats. And for some reason, both sides have to make a deal with them. That's the thing I never understood. Why are we even talking to these people? 
Like, I think they need... Like, I know the Argama needed to resupply. There are plenty other colonies with normal, sane people you can talk to. (laughs) The Argama needed to resupply, and I think the Neo-Zeon guys were just like, we want to fuck you over. Right. Well, there's... And then Beach and Mondo launched zany scheme number 17 in the middle of it. Right. That that was the other thing, is that for the first half of the show, Beach and Mondo were always trying to sell out their friends for money. Right. They were always trying to grab... And they kept friend. them around. Right, that's the thing I never understood about those two idiots, is they kept trying to sell the Gundams for scrap, they kept trying to, you know, you know, sell them out to the Xeon, they kept trying to, it's like, at some point, wouldn't you just kick them off the goddamn ship? Why, why did these guys not get airlocked? Right, or just shoot them. I'm sorry, after you, your friend betrays you for the fourth time, he's not your friend anymore. And th- this is where, like, I had good ideas for if I ever learned how to edit video and do Gun- Gundam Double Zeta Abridged. I think they would have, I really, I think they were going to be this weird pinky in the brain sort of Fred Flintstone thing where they'd always have crazy get-rich-quick get schemes that go bad. Gee, Mondo, all- what are we going to do tonight? And all their scenes would be, like, have, like, bad sitcom laugh track type stuff backing it when nothing else did. Uh, Bijan and Mondo have to have their own theme song, though. Like, like it would have been this weird thing where they talked like Bill and Ted, but <laughs> everything Ted. they did was pulled... But everything they did was pulled out of, like, Honeymooners. So, somehow I don't have trouble imagining them talking like Bill and Ted. I'm not entirely sure why. If that... Yeah. Because if you ever played Gundam Dynasty Warriors, uh... Mecha kind of sounds like Bill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want to hear him say, Dude, totally. Be <laughs> excellent to each other. <laughs> Wild stallions! <laughs> Sorry. I can't believe they're getting it. There's a third movie, man. Excuse me? They, they're they doing a third Bill and Ted movie. With or without Keanu Reeves? I believe the script is written, Keanu wants to. Alex Winters is all on board because he doesn't do anything. I was going to say, what else does Alex Winters have to do? Be like, yeah, sure. I don't not? think they're calling him back for the remake of Lost Boys. Oh lord! <laughs> Again, do we need to go back there? But uh, yeah, that Bill and Ted's. What are they going to call it? Bill and Ted Three. Uh, I think I think it has to be the unprecedented expedition. <laughs> I just call it Bill and Ted Three: Wild Stallions. <laughs> I mean, yes. sure, that'd be awesome. I mean, right there, just because everyone who would say it, I can just see Jay Leno, and everyone who does it has to go, Wild Stallions! Yeah, yeah. Please welcome Keanu Reeves, the star of the new movie, Bill and Ted 3, Wild Stallions! Because <laughs> you have to say it like that. <laughs> you do! I just want to see All right. I just want to see Regis say, Wild Stallions! But anyway. Yeah, but yeah, back, back to, um, I guess, Char's counterattack. Yes, or as Which I like I really... to call it, someone kill that annoying bitch. Uh, I really wish, like, as much as I, as much as it would mean more quests, I kind of wish it had been two movies. Quite frankly, I'm happy with the movie. There is only one Gundam series where I think the entire thing would have been a lot better if we just eliminated one character, and that would have been this. There was nothing wrong with Shara's counterattack. I didn't even mind the fact that Hathaway kind of went off the deep end. Because I didn't really, I kind of never thought he was that bright to begin with. You know, he wasn't annoying. He was just, he kind of looked at him and went, yeah, this kid ain't going to go far. <laughs> well, he, he's got that second-gen white base stigma. Like, he's just cats all over again. Right. Like, any anyone anyone who 
any child who came off the white base just does not do well. Right. Which kind of makes sense. If you were on a warship that nearly got blown up a dozen times, you'd have issues. Yeah. And boy, does he got issues. But I, like I said, Quest, just every moment she was on screen, I wanted her to get off it. Yeah. Nothing redeemable about the character. At least, going back to Nina Purple, Purpleton, at least there were some redeeming qualities to her character. I can understand why she existed in the plot. Quest made no sense. I don't know why she was there or what point she made in the long run anyway. Other than that she was obsessed with new types. Mm-hmm. Like, you can find someone else to be obsessed with new types and they don't have to be in the movie this long. Well, and... The other thing, well, my complaint is, like, you say there's one character that needs to be removed. I think there's one that needs to be added to this movie. Camille? Sayla. Sayla, I was going to say Camille. Uh, Camille, yeah. Well, did did you know what the plan was for uh, Char's right-hand man, the original plan? Do I dare ask? Cyborg Camille. Cyborg Camille. Yeah. Like. I've I've heard rumors about something about Cyborg Camille. I didn't know it was from Char's counterattack. Yeah, he was gonna be sharp. Like he was gonna be like that. That one guy who also kind of had a thing for quests. Like that guy would have yeah. been Cyborg Camille. Yeah, that would have. No, see, I I don't think you need. I think you're right. You needed Sayla to show up. You know, she like, did. Sayla's a big deal in the first series, and I can't see Char doing anything that big without her being involved. Without well, her stepping up. Yeah, I. That's just. At least in Zeta and Double Zeta, she makes appearances. You know, she she's out there, you know, monitoring the situation. Shara's counterattack, you never even get a glimpse of her. I would have been perfectly happy with both Sayla and Camille if you both got a shot of them, you know, looking up at the stars, seeing the colony, or seeing the asteroid coming towards them, Axis. Just them going, okay, here we go. <laughs> well, Just so that you know that they're monitoring the situation. And this is the other thing is that there's a they spend a lot of time with Mirai and uh, Chaman, and no time really getting any of the other characters' perspective on things. Right. And and that that bothers me is that like the Mirai plot doesn't really go too many places, and you could just as easily show these same like it's mostly there to give a civilian perspective right. on what's going up and on up in space, and you could just as easily show get, hit these same points. While also showing these new character, what the characters are up to, mm-hmm. like you could have news anchor man Kai being Mister Exposition for a bit, yeah, just so you could be like, oh, so that's so Kai's front and CNN now. Yeah, Kai's on NBC doing the live reporting. As you look above us, you can see a giant asteroid hurtling to kill us all. Stay tuned for updates. We're doomed. Say <laughs> <laughs> so it's time to grab a lawn chair and a beer, folks. It's gonna be a long day. Actually, no, it's not. It's gonna be a very short one. So hang on. It's gonna be. <laughs> But you're right. I don't understand. I I like the scenes with Mirai and her daughter, you know, trying to, you know, run for the hills, despite the fact that Mirai is smart enough to figure out if that thing drops, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, she keeps on trucking. But you're right. They could have just easily shown Camille, you know, evacuating. I mean, I know Camille shows up later in a manga, and he shows up as a doctor helping injured people, and his nurse is his girlfriend, I uh, can't think of her name off the top of my head. Fa. Fa. So you kind of see him later, and he's okay. And that was done with Tomino's approval, so he's okay. But you know, I would have been perfectly happy with seeing him 
you know, treating some wounded on Earth. I would have perfectly been happy seeing Sela up in space, watching from, you know, another colony, which is probably where the hell she was, considering the money she had. But they, they could have done, I, like I said, I'm happy with the movie, but you're right. They could have done more with it. And, well, my, my, my reason why I want it to be two is that the, the movie starts off basically in the middle. Like, action's already happening. Uh-huh. And you could just as easily give fuller character, you know, do two movies, you have fuller characterization, and uh, really ramp the tension even more. See, so you want to see uh, Amaro pile that rigazee a little longer. Well, no, because then you could also pull things from uh, Beltorchica's Children, where he starts off with the high new, or the new, and then gets the high new. Oh, okay, you want to go that far. Yeah. That would be nice. I I kind of, like I said, I'm perfectly happy with one movie. I'm perfectly happy with the way things turned out in the movie, but when you watch it, when it's over, you're like, that was good. But, man, if they only did this. You know, it was it was satisfying, but you, it's one of those movies that you kind of wish... If they just, you know, filled in these little holes, it would have been perfect. But animation-wise, spectacular. Probably probably my second favorite uh, soundtrack in anything in Gundam. Uh, I thought it was okay soundtrack. Not the greatest, but not the worst. The like, animation... It plays well with the movie. Yes, like, it does. If you listen to it on its own, nothing special, but it plays well with the scenes. It does. The, the animation is good at, for most of the movie, but there are a couple of oddball quirks here and there. Do I need to point out the uh, escape pod from the Sazabi being caught by the new Gundam and somehow the, the escape pod quintuples in size? Yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> There's some other oddball ones here and there, but for the most part, it's good. But can I can I go a little fanboy on us here? Sure. Can I explain that, you know, Shar and Amaro are actually dead? Yeah, they're dead. They're dead. They're dead Sorry, in a sense. They're dead in the exact same sense that Lala is dead. She's a force ghost, and pardon me, a new type ghost, in that they keep their consciousness, but they're no longer alive. They both got uh, transported out or transferred out through the psycho frame that was in both their suits. That's what happened. They're dead. <laughs> they're dead for realsies. Yeah, they're not coming back. They're dead. Now, you might hear, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that we do another UC show, you know, 10, 15 years down the line. If you see, you know, a Char or a Amaro ghost come to help them the way at the end of Double Zeta when all the ghosts pop up out of nowhere to fight Haman, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all if you see, you know, Amaro, you know, go all Darth Vader on and say, you know, speak to a pilot and say, you can do this. You can do this or something corny like that. But yeah. them coming back and piloting a suit in the UC, no, not after They're dead. They're dead. They're dead. Not six feet under dead. Uh, their dead isn't burned up in the atmosphere dead, but whatever. They are particulate matter. <laughs> Indeed. All right, so next up would have been F-91. F-91, I think pretty much everyone agrees, would have been better as a series. <laughs> yeah. like When you watch you... that movie, you're like, man, I'd really like to watch this series. It feels like a clip show. It does. It feels like a, like, a cheap compilation. There are big things that happen. Like, there are big things that happen. It's like... This would matter more if I'd seen this character build up over seven episodes. Right. Yes. And it's very telling that basically he revisits most of these same ideas in Victory. You only do that when you're not satisfied with the first work. Right. 
Well, I like Seabook. He is one of my favorite pilots. But you're right. It's kind of like when you watch the movie, you're like, I'd really like to see the series this movie is, you know, taken from. And you find that there, there is no series. <laughs> this was a canceled series that they gobbled together whatever they could to finish it off and make at least something out of this. Which always makes me wonder, why did they cancel the series? Well, I think, like, Shark's Counterattack made major money. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know that thing you're working on? Could you maybe make that a movie? And at this point, they've got 13 episodes fully scripted some and all the mech designs laid out, you know, basically. So they can't totally start from scratch just to do a feature story. So they take their lemons... And rather than make combustible lemons and light down and burn down their house, they they make the lemonade, and it seems that they only got the lemonade and not the sugar. So it or the lemons and not the sugar, so it doesn't totally work out as juice. That was a very complex and really strange metaphor you used there, Scott. Yes, and I, I sensed a portal reference in there too somewhere. Yes. Burn your friggin' house down! Right, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, F9-1 was one of those, I'm perfectly happy with this movie, but other than that, I'd really like to see the TV series that never got made. That I like the F9-1, I like most of the mech designs, the crossbone uh, vanguard angle was pretty cool. You kind of see, okay, the Xeons are finally gone, they're not here no more. All you got now is a bunch of pirate, terrorist, you know, aristocrats trying to grab whatever power hole is left by the Xeon not being there anymore. I don't know how you establish an aristocracy in space in less than 20 years, but they managed it. I always kind of figured that uh, the Crossbone Vanguard was, you know, some a few higher-ups from what's, what was left of Xeon who said, okay, we're rich, we're powerful, Let's, you know, make ourselves the top dogs because we're all that's left. We're not going to call ourselves Xeon anymore because the Federation will hunt down and kill us. But if we call ourselves something else, maybe they'll leave us alone for a little while. And then they waited till they really stopped caring about space. Right, and then by the time, you know, F-9-1 rolls around, they're friggin', you know, sitting on the back. I mean, they're doing interviews while they're on the beach, for God's sakes. Are you worried like, what's happening in the colonies? Get out of my son, asshole. Like, at this point, they've turned into the Earth government from Captain Harlock, where, you know, Parliament stops for horse races. Right. It's like, we must debate on this issue that has happened in space. Tea time. Woo! Tea! <laughs> Three hours later. Now, back to the business at hand. Say, so we must discuss... Ooh, the baseball game's on. Baseball! Ball game. <laughs> Six hours later. Say... So, Okay, now we must discuss closing time. Oh, see you tomorrow. All right, we'll table this for tomorrow. <laughs> Which is kind of how the real government works today, but anyway. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that that's kind of all you can say about it is it's pretty good, but you wish there was more. Right. And there kind of is? Kind of. Sort of. Like, I, th- I think like this will just lead us into Crossbone Gundam, where it's a manga series Created by Tomino, illustrated by um, someone. Someone. I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember. Tomino is the important man. part. Tomino is the important. Tomino and Kentucky are the only names you need to know about this series. Right. But yet yeah, here we have um, 
it's picking up where it left off. Like, a lot of people think this was where the series was going to go, and I'm like, no. No, this was... There's no way this series would have gone that direction. Yeah. I think this was what he came up with after the fact. Well, I think this was... If there was ever going to be a season two, you know, if there was ever a Gundam C, Gundam C Destiny, if there was an F91, an F912, this was F912. They were going to do a yeah. season one, maybe, and he said, okay, if I did a season two, what would it be like? It'd be kind of like this. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, illustrated by Yuichi Hasegawa. Ah, I didn't, truthfully, I didn't care for the character designs in the least. He went for kind of an old school Astro Boy style of drawing manga, which I didn't care for, but I liked the mech yeah. designs and it had a really good plot behind it. Like, plot's solid. Well, plot's okay. Like, really, it's just a bunch of crazy aristocrats from Jupiter want to nuke the Earth. I don't know. Let's I stop don't, them. I don't think it's one crazy aristocrat from Jupiter. I mean, this guy, yeah. you know. The guy from I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the guy in Jupiter it was put, probably a ridiculous name. Right, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he put most of the Zeon to shame. This guy was out of his fucking mind, insane. I mean, some of the Zeons would look at this guy and go, "Wow, that guy's nuts." <laughs> we need to stay away from that crazy motherfucker right there. But I love the way they designed, you know, the, the colonies around Jupiter. And just how much it sucked to live there. You know, they're doling out, you know, water and rations and medicine. And people are literally in the hallways of these colonies begging for stuff. And for not for, you know, money or for help. It's like, can you spare a cup of water, water. sir, please? I'm really freaking thirsty, man. Help me out. And then it's like, I'm sorry, your next ration of water isn't until tomorrow. It's like, oh, that's not good. I'll live in a space colony, but... If Gundam has anything to go by, I'm living in a space colony, but I ain't going anywhere near Jupiter. That place sucks. Yeah, that's like Detroit. Jupiter always like, mm-hmm. like that's that's the other thing about Ju- about Gundam. If it's near Jupiter, it probably sucks. Right. Every every Gundam series, alternate universe or otherwise, you don't want to go to Jupiter. In Zeta Gundam, you meet people like Shiraco. In Double, in Double Zeta, Zeta, you find that's where Judo goes, and you never hear from him again. Oh, you do? Well, you do, you do in the back part of Crossbone, and you see what's happened to him, and it's not good. Like, yeah, getting into that, they did a, they did two follow-up series. One is just a bunch of little short vignettes with crazy, weird adventures. Speed Gundam. Like, hmm? yeah, like the Ball Gundam and uh, New Type Monkeys. <laughs> the New Type Monkeys was strange and weird. <laughs> new Type Monkeys were awesome. New type, new type Monkeys isn't as cool as New Type Dolphins from... Gonna mix, but I'll give you that. But no, no, the, the monkeys had zakus with hands for feet. <laughs> okay, fine. New type monkeys is pretty damn awesome, but nothing beats the bee gun. And that was especially because it made sense and it actually turned out to be canon. You know that, yeah. that answered so many questions in the coolest and most ridiculous way possible. And it also was a spotlight on my favorite character from Crossbone, which was old guy. Yeah, the old crazy guy who said he was a new type, and damn it, he was. Another like, proof that proves another thing about new types. You can be a new type and still be a moron. <laughs> yeah, guy was kind of mental, but he was like an eighty-year-old grunt suit pilot who's just been like, "I fought every war ever," and he's I'm still old. alive. So <laughs> I'm still kicking about. butt. So he may be crazy, he may not be that bright, but guess what? He's piloted a lot more battles than you have, and he's still kicking. So I can't argue too much with him. <laughs> yeah, and then. Um... After that, we had uh, 
Steel 7 or 7 of Steel, whichever way you want to translate it, which was three volumes, and it was The Seven Samurai in Space with Giant Robots. Kind of, in a weird sort of way. Yeah. They, you know, the story kind of gets a little, I don't know where the story goes all that well with Steel 7. Just Basically, the Jupiter Empire's someone loyal to Crazy Man is building a giant laser. Right. And they've got about 40 days to get to it. And they need to put, so they, so Tobias like, I'm going to put together a team of the best mobile suit pilots ever. We're going to find this, fe- this secret Federation project that has crazy fast engines, and we're going to go to Jupiter, and we're going to beat up this laser. So he recruits a couple of the, mo- like, the most sympathetic bad guy from the first manga, Judo from Double Zeta, a couple of guys, a couple of test pilots from SNRI, and I think, and they, I think he gets now Kincaid back, and then they fly to Jupiter and stop this laser thing. Ah, yeah. I, my knowledge of Steel Seven, I'll admit, is lacking, and I know the basics of it. I know that Judo does show up in a completely trashed and barely even there anymore Double Zeta Gundam. And well, it's that, just got a peg leg and a bucket head. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't even look like a Gundam. You don't even know it's the Double Zeta until the bucket comes off and there's the Double Zeta's head underneath. It's like, oh, basically, that like he used tried to, to make be the, the Double Zeta. <laughs> like he tried to make a full armor version of it out of trash parts. Right. I and it didn't totally work out for him. Right. He welded a whole bunch of dumpsters on the Double Zeta, and well, it didn't work, so he had to cut some of it off. And then at some point, he just said, "Wow, I've really overdone this, haven't I?" Okay, I'm done. <laughs> it was mostly just an excuse to show off how cool the X1 custom custom was. Right. Yes, the, it was customed twice. The full cloth, full cloth X1 with super crazy engines is like, I like the crossbone full cloth, but it was kind of like, do we really need to do this? I'm I'm happy with the original crossbone. I kind of was pissed off that the X3 got trashed because I love the X3, but eh, wasn't that impressed yeah. with it. Like again, it this like this, this is a series that gets a lot of praise from American-based Gundam fans, mostly because they can't have it, right? <laughs> and the mech designs are really cool. Well, I if they made a if they announced you know or right in the middle of Gundam Rage, if that we had actually got you know Crossbone Gundam announced as an anime, I would have been really happy. But I would have been like, oh, thank the Lord, praise Tamino, it's happening. I'd be like, oh, okay. That ought to be fun. But yeah. some people, you know, were literally not really angry at Rage. Hey, Gundam Age, they were just angry. It's not Crossbone, damn it! Yeah. Like, Crossbone was good, but it wasn't the second coming, for God's sakes. It's just fun. Right. It was a and fun was little pirates. series. If you liked F91, you'll like this. Had pirate Gundams. Had some cool mech designs. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yep. Okay, and... Then we move into victory, which was. Can I go ahead and say it? Camino's, yeah. My least favorite UC series. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say it. My least favorite Gundam series. I really hated victory. Not because of the onslaught of death that the series brings. This is kill 'em all Tomino with his foot on the gas. If you see a character in that series, they got an eight and ten shot of ending up dead. Now, and I don't even mind that, because it's Tomino, and you kind of expect, you know, people are going to die when Tomino's directing. He really went to town this time, but, yeah, people are dying. 
but didn't blow up the universe, but people died. Right, a lot of people died, and I don't mind that. My problem with the series is it tries to turn on a dime a little too often. We try and go from people are getting slaughtered. The uh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. The pilot. Uso. Uso. Uso's crying. He's mourning his lost friends. And then he's getting chased around by a dog and a crazy Amazon woman who wants to get him naked. And he's running out of the place in his birthday suit, piloting the victory with a dog in zero. What the hell? Yeah, the dog was weird. <laughs> the dog was. I don't mind, you know, that they had a dog. I don't mind that they had the baby. I just. The fact that the dog was such a big part of the show is awkward. The dog was a big part of the show. The baby was a big part of the show. And I wouldn't even mind that if, you know, they had kept the tone the same. You're suddenly going from, oh, my God, my friend's dead. Oh, hey, look what the baby's doing. Oh, it's cute. Look what the dog is doing. Oh, my friend, she's dying. Oh, my God, she's getting slaughtered. And then that one, oh, was that poor uh, member of the Shrike team who got impaled on the damn launch ramp, for God's sakes. Oh, yeah. She's holding up the launch ramp, and then she gets, you know, a lance through the damn cockpit. Like, holy crap, that's a bad way to go. That's bad. And and the worst part is he didn't, you know, do it quick and make it a, you know, quick, painless death. No, he took his time with it. Yeah. He enjoyed that. More so than a lot of shows, the villains were generally bastards. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't... There were a few guys who were like... You really, you really felt bad when they died, but a lot of the villains were just bastards. Yeah, the only, the only villain that was kind of like, you kind of felt sorry for him was the, uh, the guy in the space colony, where they're all running out of oxygen, and Uso, you know, yeah, I can help you out, guys. I can get you out of here. And he goes, No, you can't. You're, you're gonna end up killing more people if you try. Just get the hell out of here. He's like, Look, look, I can save some people. He's like, No, you can't. Even if you take us out of here, we're going to be imprisoned and put to death. We're, we might as well die here in space, nice and peacefully and quiet, instead of rotting in prison for a few months before they put a bullet in our heads. And you're like, damn, that's logical and really harsh, but he's right. No, there was there was another guy who was just like, who who had picked out a, like, he, he met him on Earth, and he, like, picked out a spot where he was going to, Built a cabin for his family once the war was over and they'd settled on on planet. Yeah. And then he dies later, and then he meets his family like two episodes later. Yeah. And that one was rough. It's like, really, I mean, Tamina really tortured Usho. I mean, really put the screws to him. I I can't help but wonder what he had against Uso, because he really wanted to torture that poor kid until he broke. I mean, well, do this, I even need to? This was the first be- show he directed where. Bandai was actually calling the shots. Yeah, but do I... like he'd had to pay lip service to the toy company before, but now the toy company is actually the boss. Yeah, but I don't think it was all that. I mean, people say it was people telling Tomino what to do. Does Tomino really seem like the type of guy who's gonna say, "Okay, I'll do whatever the hell you want," but I'm just gonna really fuck with you just to make it done? No, if you really push his buttons, he's just gonna you know flip you the bird and say, "Hey, make it yourself, dickwads." I can I can understand him being a little upset with them breathing down his neck and say, "Hey, we want to see more toys. We want to see more stuff." Yeah, motorcycles. Motorcycles. <laughs> uh, mech suits to transform. More mech suits to transform. Helicopter things. Come on, all sorts of crazy crap. We want to see more, 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 more. 
What do you mean you want to do that? What do you mean you don't, you don't want to show the biggest toy they launch of the year in the fourth episode? Yeah, we need to see it right out of the gate, damn it. And I actually kind of like that that forced the, 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 the flip from fourth episode to first, because that, that's actually a nice little storytelling thing. Because a lot of Gundam shows start slow, and this kicks you to the action and then bumps you back three episodes and lets you really catch up to what's going on. Yeah. Like, like that came out better for it. I don't know if it came out better, but I understand where they were going with it. It's like, okay, here's the action. Here's what you came here to see. Now, three days earlier, here's how we got there. <laughs> yeah. But, man, victory. Do I even need to mention the scene where Uso finds his mother? They're happily reunited. Oh. And, and, and the ceasefire gets called. The ceasefire gets called. And he's holding her head in a fucking helmet. Yep. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I remember watching that for the first time, and I was just, I didn't have the words to describe it myself. I was like, I'm not sad, I'm not shocked, I'm not even sure what the hell I am. I'm just dumbfounded at the sheer ungodliness of this. It's like, do it, why isn't Uso babbling out of his mind insane at this point? Anyone who has had all the things that had happened to Uso would be out of his damn mind at this point. Which maybe was the point to say, Uso's stronger than this. He can take all this crap that I throw at him, and he'll still come through the hero. I was like, okay, he could have showed us this without pushing it this far. Do we really need to go this far? They, they broke his brain every third episode. Right. You're having him hold his mother's head in a jar. Okay. <laughs> have we really Camille reached... Camille shot his own dad. Camille shot his own but... dad. He saw his mother get blown up in a capsule. But he didn't have to take home one of their body parts. But he didn't have to carry one of the body parts back. Right. There's dark, there's really dark, then there's that. Then there's that. But, now, victory. I like some of the mech designs, but the story, the plot, and most of the characters I just didn't care for. And the final battle with Angel Halo was just kind of stupid. The only thing I enjoyed was... Uh, the two things that happened, the uh, shark clone in that one, the masked man, yeah. the way he died at the end was pretty damn hilarious. Where he's going to say, I will defeat you. I will... <laughs> he didn't even get to finish. And the his... camera doesn't even linger. Right. He doesn't even get to finish his sentence. It's like, shut up and die. <laughs> and he's dead. That and the crazy psycho bitch. Uh, I can't think. Katagina. Katagina suffers the worst fate of just about anyone. She doesn't die. She loses all her memories. She's blind, and she gets put on Earth as a beggar. Yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> I, I, actually, this year's Anime North, I got to uh, meet the voice actress who played her. Really? Yeah. Nice lady. She's also, <laughs> she's, she's also the sergeant. She's also the sergeant, Sergeant Frog. Ah. I think. That's some weird connectivity for you right there. Well, she also ended up being in uh, Turn A and Brain Powered, so she basically did two, three Tamino shows in the course of ten years. I bet she's got some stories to tell. I bet you. She told a few stories. We, we, I, I made a point of asking. <laughs> so, is Tamino as crazy as everyone says? And she's like, depends on if he's had his coffee. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, like he, he, like. She she was definitely being nice, very polite and nice about it, but it's like, well, he was nicer to the girls than he was to the men on <laughs> the show, and uh, was very specific well, so about am his I, dialogue. But I'm not that crazy. Like like no like his actors, 
Well, like he's ni- he was much nicer to his actresses than his actors. Well, I'm a lot nicer to my female coworkers and my male coworkers, but I still I'm not that crazy. Yeah, and what 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 else was that? The one thing she said that I think I found the most hilarious was that it was like he says he forgets a lot of things. Like, I think he might be lying about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always I remember the line when Tomino was at uh, the New York Anime Festival. Someone asked him, "Is like." Uh, do you remember why you didn't have Sayla show up in Char's Counterattack or show up more in different shows? It's like, do you have any idea? Is it, do you remember exactly you know, what you were thinking when not including her? And she, he goes, truthfully, I don't remember why I didn't have Sayla in there. Probably would have been better if she was, but I didn't. I don't remember. Like, Seriously? And he goes, no. <laughs> Translation, I have a reason for not having her in there. It's my own personal reason, and it's none of your damn business. Shut the hell up. Although, speaking of Tomino stories, uh, I love the one that came out of, uh, someone did, like, some doujin of Sela, and to, he, he got upset that the nipples were wrong. <laughs> That's what he's upset about? Yeah, not that there's porn out there, it's like, nope, her nipples are pink. <laughs> like, damn it, man, don't you know Sela? When I drew Sela with her boobs out, this is how they look, give me that pen. It's like, oh, Really? She has three. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> no, Tomino, he's a great storyteller, but at times he wanders off into oblivion, and I think he does it intentionally. Some writers, yeah. some directors, you know, they're, they'll stray off their path, and someone's got to say, hey, pal, get back on track. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, and he ends up back on track. Tomino's like, Tomino, you got to get back on track. Fuck you. I like it out here. <laughs> I like it out here. I'm off the beaten path. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing, but I like it. Moon, moon. <laughs> moon, moon. Tiger bomb. Sounds cool in my head. Puts it on the script. Uh, uh, dude, this doesn't make any... Shut up. It's cool. Why? Because I'm Tamino. <laughs> Look at my bald head. You see the shine? That's the shine of awesome. Yeah, that's pretty much the whole Universal Century. There was this live-action movie we pretended didn't happen didn't happen yeah and then unicorn but oh wait we're, we're not talking about unicorn we're, we're gonna save that unicorn we're gonna save for another show where we'll also talk about uh, the double o movie hey we ends but anyway but perhaps later we will talk about a certain show i've kind of linked to maybe in the future yes. in the future what show could it be i wonder it's a mystery indeed Well, and on that note, I think we're just going to call this a night, and we'll catch you next time. Later. Oh, so that's what her nipples looked like. Uh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Please do not agree on how it's licensed. Check out our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com. Check us out on Twitter at sbopodcast or our Facebook page at I Thought They Smelled Bad. Or kick me an email at sbopodcast at gmail.com.